Well, Happy New Year. It's great to be together this morning. So we're going to be starting uh, the first of our four-week series through January. It's entitled Homecoming, and this morning is entitled The Good Father. And uh, we're going to read a passage together uh, that's really well known. Uh, It's the story of the prodigal son, and uh, uh, it's from Luke chapter 15, and it's going to come up on the screen behind. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, together all he had, and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come by your spirit and give us a fresh understanding of who you are through this story. Move by your spirit amongst us today. Speak to us at the start of 2020. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, didn't get many uh, presents for Christmas, but I had uh, a present from Annie which was unexpected. And uh, this is what it was. It was a house sign. A house sign. 
And uh, I've, uh, I've wanted to name our house Hiriath. It's a Welsh word we'll talk about it in a moment. I wanted to name it Hiriath uh, for about 10 years since my mother died and enabled us to buy the house that we're living in. And, uh, but Annie, uh, unbeknownst to me, had gone out and had got this sign prepared. Now, uh, when I realized it happened, there was many things that could have gone wrong. One was the spelling of the word, because it's a Welsh word. It's an unusual spelling. It's an unusual word. But, but actually, she got that right. I was really delighted. But she was telling me afterwards that she nearly got the number of the house wrong. <laughs> She'd put down number 27 and then had to ch- realize she'd got it wrong and had to change it. So some of you will have heard me refer to Hiriaith previously. It's a Welsh word that doesn't easily translate into English. It conveys a deep longing for home. A, sen- a sense of home is something that we all long for. It's something we all want, even if our experience of it to date has been somewhat lacking. Home, we know, should be a place of protection and provision. Being a homemaker is something that we should all aspire to, irrespective of whether we have families or not. Hiriath is that reminder of what we are missing when we are far from home. And over Christmas, we have seen many films, songs that are all about coming home, coming home for Christmas. It's a song that's about, at Christmas time, a sense of Hiriath being at home. Christmas films that you would have watched, Disney films, The Lion King, Simba coming home, longing to be home back in the Pride Lands. Homecoming. There's something in each one of us that longs for home. Maybe that's you today. It's a longing for something in your heart. You're not quite sure what it is. Let me tell you this. It's a longing for home, a longing for God's presence. And the theme of homecoming runs right through the Bible, literally from beginning to end. It begins with God creating us and making a home for us, which we quickly abandoned and went our own way, running away from his presence. I don't know about you, but have you ever run away from home? I remember as a seven-year-old planning to run away from home. I'd obviously been reading too many Enid Blyton books. And I remember packing my satchel, getting on my back, riding around the block, deciding that it would be too, I was going to miss tea if I wasn't back quickly and then going back home again. Running away from home. Maybe you're running away from God. Maybe you've been running for a long time. Nobody knows. But you are a long way from home. But there's something in your heart, this sense of heriot, this sense of wanting to be back in his presence. See, the truth is we've all turned our back on him. The Bible says when we run away from home, We run to a self-imposed exile. We become, like it talks about in the Bible, like being restless, homeless wanderers. And the gospel, the good news, is that God has stepped into our world to bring us home. 
And he started in the Old Testament with a man called Abraham and he promised him and his descendants a homeland. Abraham followed God and set off for what they called the promised land. Centuries later, his descendants finally inherited the land that God had promised them. The problem was that their hearts were still wayward and they kept still wandering away from home. Time and time again, they wandered away from God. Their hearts were easily led astray. They easily ended up exiled in foreign countries, far from God's presence. And yet, despite this, God in his mercy kept working to bring them home again and again and again. And this thread of homecoming runs through the Bible. It runs through the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth is one of homecoming. It's the story of Nehemiah coming back home to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's the song of the psalmists. How How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house. How happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. It's the song of a psalmist. It's the cry of anguish of the prophets. Remember my affliction and my homelessness. Maybe that's your cry today. And that's why this parable of Jesus so resonates with all of our hearts. And in the next, next few weeks, I believe God is going to speak to us profoundly as a church as we unpack from the Bible this great biblical theme of homecoming. God is going to challenge us about our waywardness, our propensity to wander and drift, as well as giving us a greater revelation of his love for us as we face up to becoming all that he created us to be. And at the outset, we need to understand that a sense of home, home is not about place, it's about relationship. And that came home to me 10 years ago when my mum died. Home for me for all my years had been Swansea. In fact, home had been Gabalfa Road in Sketty. I'd lived in Southampton for over 20 years. I'd got married in a C of E church in Old Bursledon. My children had gone to Hamble School. They'd gone to college in Barton Peveril. My friendships were principally in this area, and yet home for me was always Wales. Every year we'd talk about going home and we'd travel uh, across the Seven Bridge, getting to the clouds that were waiting to welcome us and pour down rain from heaven on us. (laughs) Home was Wales. And yet ten years ago, as myself and my daughter went back to Swansea, just after my mother's funeral, we went back to our home, the family home. And when we got there... 
It was cold. It was empty. It wasn't home anymore. And I realized probably for the first time, I, in my head I would have understood it, but in my heart I knew home was about relationship. And what God wants you to know this morning is home and a home with God is about a relationship with him. We're going to focus this morning on the main character in the parable that Jesus taught, parable that Jesus tells. And without this person, there would be no homecoming. You see, we're going to talk about the father. And I want you to know this morning that the father is God. Next week, we're going to be exploring the younger son and how the younger son comes home after making a mess of his life. And yet there'd be no story to tell if there wasn't a father at home. You see, the younger son, as he makes his mistakes, and in the mess that he's made of his life, he has a moment of profound clarity, and he says this, I will go back to my father. He may have been a wayward son, but he knew home was with his father. Do you know that God is your father? God loves you. Jesus is deliberately making a point. The religious people of the day were absolutely outraged. Jesus was gathering dis disreputable people all around him and was encouraging them to come home to God, their father. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew that God was awesome, they knew that he was holy, that he was great, but they had little concept of God as a father. And we live in a world like that today, a world that's lost sight of who God really is. Jesus' great revelation is that God is above all else our Father. Our Father. Your Father. The Bible makes it clear God is not like a Father, He is the Father. The only Father. He's the everlasting Father, we're told in Isaiah chapter 9. He can't be anything other than the Father. In Deuteronomy, the writer poses the question, is he not your Father, your Creator? He created you. Whatever the world around you will tell you, God breathed life into your lungs. You would, have not, you would not have life if your, unless your Father gave it to you. Jesus always called God Father. The only moment he didn't was when he hung on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried that because he was bearing our sin, our punishment for our rebellion, our living independently of God, our exiling ourselves from his presence. He did that so that we could come home and that we might know God as our Father. You see, none of us can know God as a father unless Jesus reveals him to us. 
No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, John chapter 14 tells us. And it's the Holy Spirit within us who helps us know intimately God as Father, Abba, Father. Jim Packer, in his book Knowing God, says this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Is God your father? Do you know him as a father, is it just a word? Do you understand how great the love that he's lavished on you is that you should be called children of God? Has your experience of a human father tainted what it means for God to be your father? It's an epidemic problem in our society. People are growing up in a fatherless society. The truth is, my dad was a flawed father. The sad thing is, so am I. After my dad died when I was 27, God promised he would be a father to me. And all I can say is, over the last 30 years, he has kept his word. I am still enjoying learning what it means to have God as my father. And Jesus and God's desire for us all today is to know this joy. And at the start of 2020, we need to remember through Jesus, God is our father. More than this, I want you to know this. From this parable, we see that the father is good. You see, Jesus is telling a parable. It's a, a story with a meaning. And his main point is this. I believe his main point is this. The Father is good. You see, goodness is the essential reason why the wayward son concludes it's worth going home. Why on earth, after he'd done what he'd done, would he consider going home? There's something deep within him that knows that his father is good. We need to get that truth into our hearts. God is a good father. Everything he does is good. Sometimes I'm good. It's occasional. There are moments when Annette talks to me as if I've done something well. She says, well done, Steve, for emptying the dishwasher. I think she's amazed I found it. <laughs> amazed that I managed to open it when it wasn't still running. But soon I disappoint again because I'm not good all the time. God is always good. Always good. 
He created the heavens and the earth, we're told. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says that after God had created everything and he looked out over his creation and the world that he'd made and the beings he'd formed, he said it was very good. God saw it was very good. God's creation demonstrates his goodness. And when we stand and acknowledge the world that we live in and say, wow, this is an amazing world. We are declaring the goodness of God. God may do good things, but is he always good? Caravaggio was an outstanding painter, but I was reading about him some time ago. I mean, his work is worthy of praise, but he wasn't a very pleasant person. You see, when we're talking about God being good, he is not just good in what he does, he is perfect in character. We may not be good all the time, but God is always good. There's a moment in the Old Testament where Moses says, he says, he says, he cries out to God, God, show me your glory. It's a big ask. God, show me your glory. And God says, Moses, I'm going to do it. He says, I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. And he stands Moses in the cleft of a rock and he passes by. Moses can't look at his, the, the glory of God, but he, as he goes past, God speaks out his name, his character, his goodness. God's goodness is caught up in who he is. Every purpose of God's is good, we're told. This is what it says in Philippians 2. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God is good. No one is good, Jesus said, except God alone. And as we read this parable, as we understand this parable, as we spend some weeks in this parable, I want us to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God. That is what God is like. When we were camping away at West Point this year, Hannah Anderson was one of the speakers and she was talking about the goodness of God and she uh, said we live in a world where evil is prevalent all around us. And the danger is, the point she was making is, the danger is we look at the evil around us and somehow we allow that to colour our image of God. Well, God must have, God must be responsible for this. She said, no, 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 no. We need to look at a greater reality. We need to look at the world around us, the creation around us. And as we do that, we see the outstanding goodness of God. We don't look at the circumstances. We don't look at what's happening in this world. We look at the God above and beyond it. We need to be those who learn to fly above the cloud line of circumstances. I tell you, I know there are many people in this church who are going through tough times at the moment. But we need to be learned to be those who fly above the cloud line and to face and keep our eyes fixed on the goodness of God. God is good. 
We were with, Annie and I were with someone some months ago. And we were talking and um, this, uh, one of the, uh, the people in front of us said this. They're talking about a situation. They said, talking about one of their children, they said, I must be a bad parent because of what had happened. And I just felt God speak to me in that moment. And I said, I want you to stop. And I took them back to this parable. And I said, in this parable, there are two sons. Both of them are wayward. Both of them effectively run away from home. One's living at home, but he's far from his father. The other has squandered his father's inheritance. Both are wasteful. In our society, we would blame the father. Must be the parents' fault. Must be the parents' fault. That's what we do, wouldn't we? Must be the parents' fault. There's no wood without fire. There's no smoke without fire. Must be. Must be his fault. There is no hint in this story that the father is anything other than good. Do you get that? There is no hint in this story that the father is anything other than good. We live in a world where all of God's children are wayward, have run away from him. There is no hint in the Bible that God is anything other than a good father. You need the truth of that to let sink into your soul. And if you are feeling, how many of you, there are many of you here, I believe, who feel that you have failed as parents. You need to hear this. In Christ, because of who he is, we are now in Christ. We are not sinners, rebels anymore. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. We now stand in the Father's good fathering. You are good parents. You are good parents. You may make mistakes, you may get things wrong. But as you seek to live in the way that God wants you to live, as you seek to be the people that God wants you to be, you live in the goodness of God. God says you are good parents. You need to receive that. There are a number of people here today, you need to receive that truth. You see, scripture is clear. Wayward children are not proof that he is not a good father. How can we be sure? There's one reason. Jesus is good. You see, Jesus in this parable describes a father that is almost too good to be true. The truth is God is more good than we can ever imagine. The trouble is we say, if God is that good, why is this world in the mess that it's in? The Christian writer and theologian C.S. Lewis says we are on dangerous ground when we believe that God is capable of evil and then in mere terrified flattery call him good and worship him. He basically says that when we struggle with things that we read in the Bible or things that happen in life, we must focus on the goodness of God as a greater reality. 
Such an easy thing to do. We question God's goodness. Question his goodness. Believe God is capable of evil and then in some, as he calls some form of terrified flattery, we call him good and worship him. How can we get beyond that? How can we focus on the goodness of God? Well, there's one way. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the most perfect photograph of God we will ever see. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. It's why God sent his son to this world so that we would know what he is like, that we would know that he is a good father. Jesus embodied the goodness of God. It's why the religious people of the day struggled so much with him. Jesus reached out to people that they considered unworthy and people they, who, they thought that God should not be interested in. The truth was and still is the con- to the contrary. God loves all men and women. And he wants them to come home. He wants them home. He wants them in relationship with him. A.W. Tozer said this, the love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but men. God loves you and me. And if we struggle with understanding how, that, how God can be that good, then we just need to look at Jesus. And we read the Gospels and we never see Jesus making anyone sick. We don't understand sickness, but what we know is this, Jesus never made anyone sick. Jesus never deliberately hurt anyone. God is a good father. Jesus disciplined his disciples. He corrected them when they were wrong. He did it because he was good and he loved them. And he didn't want to leave them in the state they were in. God is a good father and disciplines us. Discipline is good. Society around you will tell you that it's not true. Discipline is good. God loves us. Jesus constantly loved people unconditionally. He constantly showed people amazing grace. He never forced people to follow him. They delighted to follow him because he was worthy of following. God is a good father and worthy of giving our lives to. You will not be disappointed if you give your life to him. Someone once said, it is impossible to exaggerate the goodness of God. God longs for us to live in relationship with him. He's passionate about us, even when we're wayward. And I tell you, it is easy to be wayward. Maybe you come to the start of 2020 and you know that you've been wayward over this last year. It's time to refocus. 
It's time to come home. Are you distant from the only one who truly loves you? The one who knows you for who you are? The one who loves us when we've got nothing to offer them in return? The good news is there is hope. In the valley of trouble, Hosea says, there's a door of hope and that door is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we can come to know God as our Father. This morning, it's time to come home. I read this helpful quote from, from Bill, High, Bill Johnson the other day. It says this, His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend. His goodness is beyond our our ability to comprehend. But not our ability to experience. You may not understand it, but you can experience the goodness of God. Let me tell you why that's true, because the Bible says it is. The Bible says in the Psalms, you are good and what you do is good. The psalmist says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants you this year to taste, experience his goodness. To lift your head above the clouds, above the circumstances and the tough things of life and look full in his glorious face and see the goodness of a father who loves you completely. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Goes on in the Psalms to say this. Same Psalm. One who is righteous has many adversities, troubles, but the Lord rescues him from them all. It's the great promise of scripture. You may have troubles, but God rescues us. Doesn't mean that the troubles disappear. God is with us. He's a father who never leaves us. This is what it says, and we'll finish with this in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. God loves you. God is for you. God wants you to come home. Wants you to draw near. Wants you to draw near not just today, but every day. Draw near to him. Draw near to his presence. Jesus has opened a way for us to come and know God as Father. We are like children who paddle at the seashore. We stick our toes in the water and we sort of run out and we're satisfied as if that's enough. There is an ocean, ocean depths of God's fatherhood that we have yet to experience. God wants us to bathe in the fact that he is our father. He wants you to know, he wants you to know it's true.